Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Beginning with verse 18. You follow along in your copy of the scriptures, please. 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Peter culminates this section on unjust suffering for the believer with an example of how Christ's unjust suffering achieved God's triumphant purpose. At the heart of the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ, who is perfectly righteous, died for the utterly unrighteous. He triumphed through the undeserved suffering by, as God had predetermined, providing redemption through this world. You see, the reality is, no matter where we find ourselves as elect exiles, we need to focus, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. No matter what's going on in your life, keep your eyes on Jesus, because he is the only one who can give us direction and who can help us understand at least that he is in control and can be trusted for everything in our lives. The Apostles' Creed was written in 390 A.D. And it was designed to help people recognize the focus of their relationship with God. I don't know when the last time was that you read the Apostles' Creed. But we're going to read it this morning, all right? This is just the first section, but it allows you to see where they began, and it began with Jesus Christ. Can we read this together this morning? All right, here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell the third day. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. That's just what Peter told us. And so as we recognize something about the focus we need we understand it's all about Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Hebrews, or not Paul, the writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 
12, looking unto Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, I trust that I can encourage you to see Jesus. I trust that I can give you a focal point so that you recognize who is the author and finisher of our faith, so that you can have a direction in your lives as we as elect exiles walk this life. My grandfather was a farmer, a small-time farmer. He only had 80 acres. Most of his living was done as he repaired farm implements. My grandfather would not farm on Sunday because he always said, what I used on Sunday, I fixed on Monday. He'd let me ride the tractor with him. And he'd let me ride it during the planting season. And that was not the best time for him to allow me to operate the tractor. Because my grandfather was one of those farmers that wanted it cut straight. And his grandson was too interested in stuff around me to cut it straight. I said to Grandpa, Grandpa, how in the world do you keep it straight? He said, you see that fence line at the end of the field? Yeah, kind of. He said, pick out a spot and don't take your eyes off of it. And that's how he got it straight. If you and I are to walk straight, we need to put our eyes on something that is stable. And that stability is found in Jesus Christ. Now, there have been a number of outlines that have been given for this passage of Scripture. I'm not going to use any of them, but I'm going to give them to you this morning. John MacArthur uses this outline. His triumphant sin bearing, his triumphant sermon, his triumphant salvation, his triumphant supremacy. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Warren Wearsbury uses this outline. His crucifixion, his proclamation, his resurrection, his exaltation. So as we work our way through this passage of Scripture, I want you to know it's all about Jesus. Now, I want to give you a focus this morning so that you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for our lives. It begins with a foundation. Did you read that in verse 16, 18, I'm sorry? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put together in the flesh, but made alive unto the Spirit. As you look at the foundation for our salvation, you first of all discovered that there was pain in that foundation. He suffered. I did not take the liberty this morning to show you pictures of my accident. They are posted on Facebook if you're interested. Not interested, huh, Dennis? No, it is not a pretty sight. And some of you could show me scars that you have from perhaps similar kinds of battles where you have lost. I've decided that you never win a battle with a power tool. 
Have you thought about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ? We think sometimes about the physical suffering at Easter, do we not? For he went to the cross and died. That crucifixion is not a pretty sight. We call it Good Friday because Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But there was nothing good about it. And the agony that he faced as he suffered for the sins of the people and became sin for us, that we might know the righteousness of God. But not only was there physical suffering, there was also emotional suffering. Have you thought about that? He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. There was that emotional suffering. There was social suffering where the religious leaders of the day quenched his message because they were jealous of him. And so his suffering But I want you to know that his suffering was indeed once for all. Underline that in your Bibles, will you please? Once for all. And it was a pardon that we have where after he had offered a sacrifice for sins, according to Hebrews chapter 10, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God because there weren't any more sacrifices necessary for sin. The one that he offered was offered by the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Amen? Does that excite you? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his sacrifice, his mercy. He saved us. Amen? A foundation for our lives. And the scripture says it was the righteous Jesus Christ for the unrighteous. If you have a King James Version, it says the just for the unjust. Pardon in our lives. Pardon for sin. A pardon that endures. I am so thankful that Jesus Christ gave me a pardon. And he has given that to me so that I might have a relationship with God. And that brings us to our purpose, right? Do you see it in that same text? the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Genesis chapter 3 tells us how man has been alienated from God because of the sin of the first two created beings, Adam and Eve. And as you read Romans chapter 5, you discover that it was Adam's sin that has been passed down to you and to me. If it weren't for that sin, I'd have never cut myself with that saw. It's Adam's fault. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But the purpose was to give us a standing with God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, As many as receive Christ... To them are given the privilege to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king with Jesus my savior. I'm a child of the king. A focus for my lives because of the foundation that he laid in providing for me a relationship 
with God, a standing before God. I have been justified, declared righteous because of his righteousness, not because of mine. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And it is that righteousness that we have. The phrase bring us to God is a technical term. It has the idea of gaining an audience. Have you ever tried to get in to see somebody who's part of a governmental office? I told you a couple weeks ago that I signed up for Medicare. Now, I don't really know what that means. But several weeks ago, I made an appointment to find out what that means. And my appointment is October 17th. It was six weeks out before I could get an appointment. You believe that? We're from the government and we're here to help. I am thankful that I don't have to wait six weeks because I have a standing before God. I have an audience with God. At any time, on any day, for any reason, I can go into his presence. Because I do not go on my merit, I go on the merit of Jesus Christ, my focus. There is one God and one mediator between, Je- between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Amen? That's our foundation. Does that encourage you this morning? Isn't that a great thing? Underline that in your lives. But not only do we have a foundation in Christ, we have a victor. We have an overcomer in Christ. And Peter tells us exactly what took place. Look with me. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in heaven, in prison, because they formerly did not obey. Now, there is some dispute as to what all of that means but the text says that he made a proclamation to the spirits that are now in prison what did christ do when he was in the grave three days and three nights got a nap what what did he do well one of the things that he did according to scripture is that he went to prison For those who were disobedient to the fallen spirits and proclaimed himself as the victor. Now, there are some believe that that he preached himself and and gave people an opportunity to be saved again, but I, I don't believe that. Scripture says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. You see, he is the overcomer. He overcame sin and death and the grave. He conquered the exploits of Satan. And that was what we were told would happen back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, where the seed of the woman would give a death blow to the head of the serpent, even though the, the serpent would have some kind of control. You see that in Matthew chapter 4 where you look at the temptation of Christ. You see in Scripture where 
Satan is the prince of the power of the air, works in the son of disobedience. John chapter 8 says he's a liar, father of lies. And so what Peter is telling us here is that Jesus Christ is the overcomer even to those spirits that oppose him. And one of the things I believed happened during those three days is he went down as a victor, an overcomer, to proclaim that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Satan could not overwhelm him because he overcame it all. The phrase made proclamation or proclaimed means that he preached or herald. In the ancient world, heralds would come to town as representatives of rulers to make public announcements. They preceded generals and kings in celebratory military triumphs. They announced that victories had been won in battle. Christ preached his triumphant sermon to those who were once disobedient. As for that reason, God had bound them permanently in a place of imprisonment. He is the overcomer the victor of our faith. Amen? We can focus on him because of who he is. Peter now tells us a little bit about the ark, the saving of the ark. And we have a covenant with Noah. Did you notice that in our text? It's an illustration. He says, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Last week, Alan Pat wore matching t-shirts that said the ark experience. If you've not been down to Kentucky and seen the ark, you ought to go. It, it, it's worthwhile. It is a massive display of what God told Noah to build. And throughout it, and there's a lot of walking that you have to do, but throughout it, it illustrates how Noah, I almost said Moses, how Noah took care of those animals, or might have taken care of those animals, how, how he and his family might have lived. and it, it, It's just a wonderful thing. But you know the thing about the ark? It was used to save some people that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 is the first time that that word grace is used. And it's used right after God describes what's going on here on planet Earth. Let me give to you 5, 6, and 7. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of his thoughts, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the earth. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah 
found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I don't think you and I can even imagine how terrible things were in the days of Noah. Now, Scripture tells us that as in the days of Noah, so shall be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And it's pretty bad now. And you and I struggle with cultural norms where unrighteousness is declared as righteous and where sin has been declared as satisfactory. We, we struggle with that. Black is white. Lies are truth. In Noah's days, Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. But Noah. But Noah and his sons and their wives found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you know the account. God said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And I can just see Noah saying, God, what's an ark? Gave him the dimensions, told him to build it out of gopher wood. I don't even know what gopher wood is. And so for 120 years, Noah builds this ark. I don't think he used a chop saw. And for 120 years, this massive, and it is massive, vessel is rising up in the plains with no water around. I'm amazed in our country where Coast Guard stations are. There are Coast Guard stations in Nebraska. I didn't know Nebraska had a coast. It doesn't. So this massive vessel is, is out on this plane and people are saying, what are you doing, Noah? What, what is this thing? And Noah is a preacher of righteousness and talking about God's judgment coming. And if you want to be saved, you better get in this ark. Because after 120 day, 20 years, the animals came in, and the only way for the animals to come in was for God to bring them. It's all, all God stuff, right? And God brought them in. Noah, his three sons, their wives, and Mrs. Noah went in and God shut the door. Do you know what happened to everybody who was outside that door when it started to rain? They found out how long they could tread water. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and water was on the face of the earth for over a year and they all drowned and perished. But those who came to the ark discovered safety because of the grace of God. Now, Peter here uses this as an illustration about Christ. We talked about how he suffered, right? Died once. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring them to God. There is only one way to determine eternal life, and that is through the cross, the ark. And if you're outside the cross, you're going to perish. If you're in the cross, 
you will be saved. In a few weeks, we are going to have on the 29th of October, Reformation Sunday. And there are five solas, truth alone concerning the Reformation, that were, that were preached in the Reformation. Three of them are Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. And that's salvation. Are you here this morning? Do you know Christ as personal Savior? Are you inside the ark? Have you come to the cross? Have you trusted Jesus as personal Savior? You say, well, I don't understand all that stuff. Talk to me afterwards, will you, so I can explain it. Because it's critical. And the covenant with Noah was that God would no longer flood the earth again. Remember the rainbow? I saw a rainbow this past week. And it's a reminder of God's covenant. The covenant with those who come to the cross is that they become children of God. And once you've been born again, you can't be unborned. Right? There were times that I wanted to trade my kids in. Never a time I didn't love them. There were times I didn't like them very well. Katie, you can't cancel your order. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't want to cancel it. She just wants to be done with it. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you're not in the ark. You haven't come to the cross. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about your focus. I don't know what you're looking at. Because God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Eight were saved. 120 years were the grace period. Construction of the ark. Purpose was to rescue Noah and his family from the flood. The ark is that vivid object lesson to unbelievers of God's impending judgment on the world. The cross. The cross. Two more reasons why we need to focus. There is indeed a unique refuge. Now Peter here talks about baptism, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Now, you read that and you might think, well, I need to believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized. That's baptismal regeneration. That is not what the Bible teaches. But what Peter is looking at this is he's looking at a figure that allows us to see a type of salvation. Keep your finger here in 1 Peter and turn back to Romans chapter 6, will you please? Romans chapter 6. Baptism simply means to immerse, and not just in water. Peter's using baptism to refer as a figure of immersion into Christ as the ark of safety. Romans chapter 6, are you there? Verse 1, please. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, 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 no. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ 
into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, all right? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, understand that when you got saved, you became one with Jesus Christ. Just like he died, you died to the old life. Just like he rose, you rise to walk in newness of life. It's a whole new deal. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And Peter here is referencing that figurative baptism that takes place when a person receives Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And I'm thankful for that. Baptism, as we do it in water, is a public demonstration of an inward profession. Pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's why we immerse. And yet, there are people who have never experienced the spiritual baptism. Because they've never come to the ark, they've never come to the cross, that go through this and come out just as unsaved as they went in. Peter says it's all about Christ, that's our focus. And it is this unique refuge that we have in Jesus Christ. And why is all of this true? Because he is indeed the sovereign over Through the resurrection of Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the grave and he is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? And that's the focus. You see, as elect exiles, You and I need to recognize that our focus must be on Jesus. Now, how does that happen? May I refer you back to Hebrews chapter 12? We read verse 2 earlier. Let me give you verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? It's all about Jesus. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angel beckons me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know. You know. I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angel beckons me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking 
sand.